Over to you, Terry. Thank you, Stuart. What an act to follow. Huh? Yeah. Um. Okay. Just changing the channel. Am I? Is my thing on? Well. Well, folks, good evening. Just as we, we're sorting out the techie stuff, let me just say that on the table on the way out here, you'll, you'll find these folders, Hope for Glasgow, and inside, uh, Hope for Glasgow is the charity that I run in Glasgow, um, and inside these folders you will find uh, copies of our last four newsletters that will give you more of a flavour of uh, the work. Um, and there's also these, uh, uh, these keychains, um, Hope for Glasgow, it's on them, uh, Facebook, Twitter, that means you can follow us there on social media. Uh, you can put your keys onto these and it helps to kind of hang them up. And the idea is that when, when you pick your keys up in the morning, when you eventually find them, that is, um, maybe it would, uh, it would remind you to kind of pray for it. What I want to do uh, this evening is, I, I was here a couple of years ago when Hope for Glasgow had just, uh, just started, uh, and I was giving folks a flavour of the work that we were hoping to be involved in, the plans uh, that we had, uh, but the Lord's helped shape things a wee bit um, since then. So what, what I want to do is, um, for those of us, we may be aware, but I'm going to assume that folks know absolutely nothing. Um, know absolutely nothing about the sort of a drug crisis, the drug death crisis that our country's facing at the minute. So what I want to do is to, to set the scene a little, to set the scene a little of the, the context here in Scotland, uh, placing that within its context in the UK and indeed the world, um, and then uh, something of uh, the work of Hope for Glasgow as we seek to uh, do, play our part, something's happening, uh, play our part to... Uh, help address these issues. Right, wait a minute. Now, what I think what I think's happening here is it's it's a way off somewhere. You see, so I probably need to drag that air. Maybe let me see. I can't even find my thing now. That's what's that's what's tied there. That's not. 
much more driving. Okay, so um, uh, ministering in a culture of addiction is the, is the title of this, okay? So we're, we're going to move on. Now, by the way, don't be hammering the doors at five o'clock because uh, Chris says people go mental around about five uh, to get out. I've already wasted five minutes, so you've got to give me five minutes grace, okay? Um, so setting the scene, some, some, of the, some of our newspaper headlines that would have been uh, maybe familiar to us over the summer, Things like instead of Scotland the brave, uh, Scotland the grave as it comes to uh, uh, our drug stats. This is drug-related deaths in the UK for 2018. Our drug, our drug stats usually come out sometime between July and September or July and October every year. Um, so we're always a year behind. Um, so these are the drug-related deaths in the UK for 2018 that were, were released in July this year, not taking into account Northern Ireland, whose stats are not out. So in 2001, just under 3,500. 2008, just over 3,500. Um, and 2017, uh, just, just below 5,000. So a kind, of a, steady, a kind of a steady number. Then in 2018, uh, 5,500. As that relates to per head, per 100,000 of population, in 2003, five people per 100,000 in the UK died of drug-related deaths. 2008 was 5.8. 2017, 7.3, and then 2018, 8.3. So steady, kind of a steady uh, numbers. Let's put, uh, compare that to Scotland. 2001, 332 deaths. 2008, 574. 2017, 934. 2018, uh, 1,187. What does that look like for us per head, per 100,000? Well, back in 2002, Scotland already stood at 6.6, .6, and it's grown steadily since then. Uh, so in July this year, uh, 2018, uh, 21.8 per 100,000. That's us ranking with the rest of uh, parts of uh, England, uh, Northern Ireland. Now remember, the UK per 100,000 is 8.3. England is 8.2. Scotland is 21.8. Scotland is not only the sick man of Great Britain, but the sick man of Europe leading the way. If only that was football, um, but sadly it's not. Halfway down the, the, the slide there, you see the European Union. The combined, the combined um, stat for the European Union, the com combined per 100,000 per European Union is 2.3. Now, we've already seen Scotland's 21.8. So Scotland is roughly then three times worse than the UK national average, nine times worse than the European Union average and that of Germany, 12 times worse than France, Italy, um, in Poland. Um, and not only with a sick man of Europe, Scotland currently 
is the world's overdose capital. We've taken that title uh, um, provincially from America. Um, America stats for twen- uh, 2017 were 21.7. Scotland's now are 21.8, but America's 2018 stats are not yet out. So provincially, uh, we are provisionally we are the world's overdose capital. Triple that of England and Wales, and now believed to be higher even than the United States, which is in a grip of its own opioid crisis. Something of the crisis in numbers, well, just under 1,200 deaths. That's 253 more than 2017. That's a 27% increase of drug-related deaths from 2017 to 2018, almost a third higher. Um, it's double the figure for 20, uh, double the figure for 2008. Um, and this, this issue is um, proportionally affecting males. Males accounted for 72% of all drug-related deaths in 2018. Um, 887 of those who died were over the age of 35. And there's just some other stats in kind of age groups. Only 40% of people with a drug problem are currently in treatment in Scotland. Due to waiting lists and all sorts of other things, uh, community-based solutions rather than residential ones. Of the, re- the 1,200 recorded deaths... 47% of those had methadone in their system. So 47% of those are in treatment of some sort. The methadone treatment. Uh, opiates or opioids uh, were involved in 86% of the total number of deaths. And then benzodiazepines, such th- things as like uh, diazepam, were involved in 67%. Just in terms of Scotland's worst hit councils, there you see um, Dundee in 2017 was at the top, but kind of a Glasgow's just took that title back. And there you can see down in number eight, number eight your own district council um, of East Ayrshire, 23.8. Now remember what Scotland's national average is? 21.8. So East Ayrshire is statistically worse than the, uh, the, the Scottish national average. There you can see there, that's the top 20 council hit areas in the UK. 17 of the top, uh, the worst 20 council areas um, are Scottish. In 2017, to get into the top 10, to get into the top 10 in, in, in 2017, you had to have a drug, drug death uh, ratio of 16.7. 16.7 per 100,000. That will even get you into the top 20. You need above 18 to get you into the top 20 today. The crisis in Scotland is reflected by the crisis in East Ayrshire. They've continued to rise steadily. 2010, 11 deaths. 2015, uh, 14 dead. And then even in the last three years, that number has, has already doubled. 29 dead in 2018. Doubled in the last few years alone. And, and, and per capita terms, per 100,000, in 2017 it was 19.7. Well, we've already seen in 2018 that's now jumped to 23.8. Just in comparison to some of the other uh, councils. So seventh, East Ayrshire is the worst, uh, seventh worst. In, uh, did you know that about your area? No? No. Uh, the crisis in Glasgow divorced that of similar English cities. 
Now, there was, a, there was a report done a number of years ago called the Glasgow Effect. And what that report did was it took um, post-industrial cities, working-class post-industrial cities like Liverpool, Manchester, and Glasgow. Um, and these cities had similar levels of deprivation, similar levels of poverty. But what they found was the health outcomes for Glasgow were absolutely off the charts and compared to these other two. So that it meant that if you stayed in Glasgow as opposed to these cities, you were more likely to die of cancer, a heart attack, or for uh, drug or alcohol-related deaths. Well, we've already seen Glasgow stands currently at 44.7 per 100,000. I was staggered when I seen the start for Liverpool. 14.3. Now, in days gone by, Liverpool being a port city, a lot of drugs came through Liverpool. They still day. And I was absolutely amazed to see this start. Um, you know, Glasgow is, is three times worse than Liverpool. Newcastle, 13.2. Manchester, 10.8. Birmingham, 7.9. Sheffield, 7.7. Now, if that's staggering for Glasgow, staggering for East Ayrshire as well. 23.8 per 100,000, more than double the rate for Manchester and higher even than uh, Liverpool. Uh, all that really there is saying is, 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 is this thing, which is a thing to home in on. Only 68 of those nearly 1,200 deaths, only 68 of those deaths were attributed to uh, one substance, whether one drug or alcohol that was present in the body. And that relates to um, 6%. The other 94% of the deaths had more than one drug um, in their system. Um, so, you know, what, what, what's the, the, the term that's termed polydrug use? So, more than one drug in people's uh, system. And, and, and as I've already said, in 47% um, of those deaths, uh, methadone uh, was kind of a there. I've just put that up there. Uh, f flawed diagnosis will always result in a flawed solution. When the problem is not rightly understood, solutions will always be inadequate. And what the, the so-called experts have been coming out with in these days since July has been, uh, let's decriminalise it. It works in Portugal. Well, this isn't Portugal. This is Scotland. Um, um, or um, let's give them heroin for nothing. Let's give them heroin for nothing. Or the number one uh, solution, we're not giving them enough methadone. Methadone's already been implicated in 47% of the deaths, and people want to give them mere methadone. I have never come across anybody in my life, myself included, that was on the methadone program that was actually trying to get clean. I went on to methadone to get something for nothing. I wasn't interested in getting clean. I was getting, I was getting drugs for nothing, so it wasn't costing me money. Now, I'm not saying that nobody on methadone wants to get clean. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't know anybody that was, that's went onto methadone with a clear intention of, I want to get clean, right? They go on methadone, and it's something for nothing, right? So that policy doesn't work. It's not working. Um, and I'll say a wee bit more about why it's a flawed diagnosis and why it's a, a flawed solution. But that brings me to um, Hope for Glasgow. I set up Hope for Glasgow. Somebody was asking me this morning, my friend there was asking me this morning, uh, when did I set this up? I set this up three years ago. Um, uh, my own background, drug addict, um, I've been clean for 18 years at the beginning of uh, September, um, and I was converted on the 9th of September 2001. Um, 
uh, I, I was helped by an organisation called the Open Door Trust, Hugh and Maureen McKenna, um, and then I went and trained at Bible. I, I, I was helped there, and then I worked there for five years, and then I went to Bible College, and, and I was at Bible College. Then I worked for my, my church, the Tron, uh, the Tron Church in the Toon. I worked there, and you know, I was I was there for about nine years. I was the associate minister for pastoral and social care, and I started to do some work because I've got a drug addict background. I had uh, been an addiction worker. I've worked in uh, secular residential rehabs. Um, and I've always had a burden for those broken with addiction. So part of my job at the Tron was I'd done some groups for men um, and addiction. Um, but as I was working there, the, the, the drug deaths were beginning to go through the roof. Um, but I've always had a burden for working with those broken with addiction. And when I worked at the Tron, I was doing three different jobs and not doing any of them well. I was getting pulled in so many different places. And the burden for working with those in addiction kept growing and growing and growing. And in 2016, um, you know, speaking to my wife, speaking to my best pal, nobody thought I was, for once in my life, nobody thought I was off my head. Um, and then uh, beginning to speak to the leadership at the church who believed you should go and do this. Now, I can open the Bible with the best of them and preach and teach with the best of them at the Tron, but they couldn't come and do this work, Hope for Glasgow, because they don't have the background um, that I have got. So, and, uh, you know, God, what was it I said this morning? God knows best where we have to serve him, right? We might be able to do lots of things, but God might have something in particular for us to do. Um, so we, we set up uh, Hope for Glasgow. I'm supported by um, a godly, a godly uh, board, of, uh, board of directors. And it just so happens that the, the, the date that we were set up as a legal entity, all the forms were in, I had nothing to do with it, the forms are in, and then when the forms finally got stamped, it was 9th of September 2016, which was 15 years to the day that I had been converted, um, and, I, and I just felt that that was a token for God saying, I was there at the start of your spiritual birth, and I'm here at the start of this work, so it was like a token for me that God, that this was the call of God in my life, because I was getting it in the neck for a lot of people. What are you doing walking away from your pulpit? You should be in the pulpit every week. What are you doing? You're a brilliant communicator. You shouldn't be doing this. But here's one of the things that I want, I want you to get. I want you to get. I'm not a, a glorified, spirit-filled social worker. I'm a minister of God's word. And I'm just, God has just so happened to call me to minister to God's word in the arena of drug addiction. And when I get into what Hope for Glasgow is all about, you will see that this is a word ministry. It's no social work. It's the ministry of God's word. And let me just say, um, for the offset, really, what we are. We are um, a Christ-centered, biblically-orientated addiction support program for men. And I'll say a wee bit more about what I mean by that, a Christ-centered, biblically-orientated approach to addiction. And there's a strap line there. A strap line is that we hope that everybody that comes to us will get clean and will get connected. Clean for your substances and connected to uh, their, 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 their selves, their family, their community, and hopefully their local church and the Lord Jesus. So can, uh, clean for your substances, connected to support. Clean for sin, connected to the Savior. Um, so where we're based, uh, that's just like a rough map of Glasgow. It's no like postcodes or anything, but um, 
where we're based is there in number 10, right bang in the middle of the city. If any of you know the, the old Henry Wood Hall in Glasgow, um, the Royal Scottish National Orchestra's, Orchestra's building, it's at the end of Berkeley Street along the side of the Mitchell Library, just two minutes for Charing Cross, and right opposite that new big massive Sikh temple. Um, the Tron have bought a building there, and they bought it off the RSNO, and they've built on an annex at the back, and I get, I get the use of that whole annex. It's uh, a, a good place. And, you know, somebody once said, uh, you know, he's, a, he's a right across the road for that Sikh temple. Do you think that causes a problem? I says, no. I says, when I'm talking to any of them, I, ju I just say, you know, Jesus says he came for yous. You know, he didn't co come to call the well, but the Sikh <laughs> to repentance. <laughs> yeah. Please pray for my wife. She needs to put up with me. Um, but being in the city centre, it really helps us logistically because it means that we're only one bus journey away from everywhere in the city. And also being in the city centre means that we don't have to deal with any of the tribal issues that being in certain parts of the city of Glasgow would provide for folks. So let's just say for talking sake, I was up in number 17. That's a postal park area. Well, not only would that provide a logistical problem for somebody in number three that they'd have to get two buses, there's also the kind of, a, I'm not going to postal. I mean, who would want to go to postal? Eh, Karen? That's where her mass fit, postal park. <laughs> she told me the day at lunch. Um, so that's, 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 that's where we're based. Um, Hope for Glasgow is a network of ministries that together form Hope for Glasgow. Um, there used to be six things in this, but one thing's recently stopped. And what I've tried today is uh, show different, um, you know, arrows saying that that matches up with this, that, you know, you can go for there to that. Um, and that's always right in Christian ministry. Something should always lead on to something else. Always. Um, you know what, one of the reasons why the Dead Sea is dead? Because it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. And some church ministries are like that. Some church ministries are set up because, oh, it's a nice wee hinky day. Why don't we do it? But there's never any thought about, what if somebody comes here and begins to show an interest in the gospel? And dare we say, what if somebody comes here and gets converted? What are we going to do? So should we, we should always be thinking about, where does this ministry fit in in the overall ministry of the local church? And uh, for the elders here, there's a cracking book by, I think it's a guy called Peter Adam, or Peter something, called Mission Minded. And it takes that whole kind of attract how, how every ministry fits into the overall ministry of the church. Uh, so what I want to do is just quickly go through each of them. Um, the, the, each of them are ministries in their own right, the standard themselves, but then uh, how they all form together. So our, our day program, we call it, we call our day program Road to Recovery. It's a Christian drug and alcohol support day program for men. Um, sorry, ladies, but it's for men. Um, and one of the reasons we do that is because, well, a lot of us have witnessed when men and women come together. Um, it's a breeding ground for issues of their own, you know. Um, when I worked in rehabs, we had, we had more trouble dealing with relationships than we did uh, dealing about uh, recovery. Um, and if, if I took one woman, and she could be the ugliest woman in the world, and I put her in my group, it would totally upset the dynamic. I mean, half of the guys would be puff puffing their chest suit, you know, as if they were the hardest guy in Glasgow, talking out the side of their mouths about how they'd done all sorts of bank jobs and all that. Some other guys 
would be like, poor, feeling so insecure and s- s- sinking down into their chair because they've never been that close to a woman before. And women, especially a woman coming out of addiction, she would use her greatest gift, manipulation. And she would tie all the guys right around their fingers because us men are a bit stupid like that when it comes to a uh, kind of a woman. So um, it's a day program for men. We do have plans at some point in the future to do stuff for women. But I am consoled in this that um, 72% of these drug deaths are overwhelmingly men. That doesn't mean to say that the, the 28% don't matter. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something where the problem's at, at, at its uh, biggest at the minute. Uh, we currently run a 15-week program which promotes total abstinence. Total abstinence for all drink and all drugs. I'm not a temperance guy. I'm not interested if you take a glass of wine with your dinner. I'm not interested about that. I don't, and that's fine. The Bible doesn't say that you shouldn't. Um, but the Bible does say that I shouldn't. Uh, because I've showed a disposition towards substances in the past. So we promote uh, total abstinence for all drink and all drugs. Um, is the only way to begin to get better. Um, to begin to get better. It doesn't mean that's you better. To begin to get better. And that's not a positive message. Some people say there's no a biblical mandate against alcohol. As I've already said, that's true for you um, if you've not been broken with alcohol addiction. But for somebody who has been broken with alcohol addiction, it isn't true. There is a biblical mandate. I remember an old guy in Alcoholics Anonymous and he knew I was a Christian. And uh, and he was trying to give me uh, some advice in case I ever considered being a social drinker again. I said, I was always a social drinker. Social gave me the money and I drank it. <laughs> but but he said, he said in, case, in case you think that somehow, somewhere, you could take a drink again, Terry. He says, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I says, aye. And he says, well, remember this, he says. See, when Daniel got out of the lion's den, he didn't go back for his bonnet. Now, that's known, that's known Daniel chapter 6. You don't need to check. I've already checked. It's, it's not there. Um, now, what he said wasn't biblical, but what he said, a non-Christian man, what he said was deeply theological. And what he was basically saying was this, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Why would you want to? Why would you want to, after getting out of the lines, then go back in? Why would you want to? Now, this isn't biblical, but I see my remaining abstinent is part of my repentance. See, when I look back and see the damage that I caused my family, the damage that I caused myself, the damage that I caused my community, why would I want to go back to it? Why would I even want to roll the dice on that one? It's just a wisdom issue, isn't it? It's just a wisdom issue. So a 15-week program that promotes total abstinence, and we adopt a biblical approach to understanding and addressing addiction. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what the world tells us. Here's what all our secular um, addiction services tell us. They tell us that at the root of any addiction is an illness, a sickness, or a disease for which you are not responsible. That's what they teach. That's what the 12-step fellowships teach. It's an illness, it's a sickness, it's a disease, and it's no your fault. It's not your fault. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Go home and look it up. Um, the prototype addiction is alcoholism. 
And any time that alcoholism or being a drunkard is mentioned in the Scriptures, it always appears in lists of sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do not be deceived, brothers. Have you not heard that neither the sexually immoral, the reviler, the swindler, um, and the drunkard will inherit the kingdom? So 1 Corinthians 6 puts being an alcoholic fairly and squarely in the category of sin. Not sickness, but sin. Now, I understand um, that folks say, you know, oh, I didn't have a choice. Um, and, and, and sometimes I get what they mean. I get what they mean at the end of their addiction. Aye, they're enslaved. But every addiction, every addiction begins with a moral choice. A choice to pick up. A choice to switch over. Um, I, I sum up my own addiction like this. It began with a choice that was a bad choice that became a dominant choice. And then, yes, in the end, I was enslaved. And it seemed like I didn't have a choice, but it began with a choice. So the Bible, the Bible definition of addiction, any addiction, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography, any addiction, at the root of any addiction is this, choice, sin, false worship, and idolatry. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Well, we know that that finishes. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But no for the drug addict. No for the alcoholic. When faced with the hills in their life, their help comes from a bag of smack, a bottle of vodka, a crack pipe. So whatever you turn to, whatever you turn to for solace, comfort, help, and support functionally plays the role of God in your life. Small g. So it becomes a a worship issue, a worship issue. Now, the Bible does use um, the, the metaphor or, the, you know, the symbolism of disease to describe addiction, but that's not the only thing it uses. The Bible also uses adultery. And see, when I say that, hey, guys who've been married and all that, they get it right away. Wife telling them, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It's either that crack cocaine or it's me and the Wayans. They say, she wasn't even finished and I knew I was picking the crack cocaine. Tell me that's no adultery. Tell me that's no an issue of the heart. Now I could go up to, I could go, I take you up to the Beatson, which is a cancer place up there in Glasgow, and I'll go in. And a wee woman with cancer, a wee guy with cancer, and I share the gospel with them. They get soundly converted. But unless God miraculously intervenes, that wee woman's still going to have cancer. Why? Because cancer's a health issue. But if I share the gospel with a drug addict and they get soundly converted, that drug addiction will begin to go. Why? Because unlike cancer, it's not a health issue. It's a heart issue. It's an issue of the heart. Whatever you turn to for solace, comfort, and support, it's an issue of the heart. That's God's question all the way through the Scriptures, all the way through the New Testament. Where's your heart? Whom will you worship? And actually, folks maybe say, oh, oh I mean, you're, you're stigmatizing. I mean, you're battering me a wee bit, you know. No, it's good news. Because if at the root of your addiction is false worship, idolatry, then guess what's at the root of the solution? True worship. Worshiping the one true God. That's why Jesus makes a difference. When we're offering Jesus, we need to understand why we're offering Jesus. Why does Jesus make a difference? Well, because it's not a health issue, mate. It's a heart issue. And Jesus can deal with your heart. That just talks about some of the the stuff that we, that, we, that we do. There's a lot of dead practical stuff, health and well-being stuff, but there's a lot of uh, kind of a biblical understanding of addiction stuff as well. Uh, we support guys 
through every party getting clean. Um, and this was one of the guys' hussies. Absolutely bogging. Absolutely t- uh, unbelievable. Um, um, you know, I to say, well, I'm sorry, mate, I'm only here to help you deal with your drug addiction. You know, how, how can that guy begin to focus on his issues when he's going to help me a house like that? So we helped to uh, get that guy's house cleared and, and whatever um, so that he could begin to focus on know, know the, kind of a, the, the issues and stuff like that. And do you know, see, as bogging as that house is, um, the, what the Bible says is this, every one of your hearts is in merrier state than that house, and Jesus is able to clean it up. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, uh, so men who attend the day program supported through all the stages of maintain, attaining and maintaining total abstinence for all substances. There's just some of the stats of how many men um, have come along. Uh, compulsory attendance at our road to recovery evening meetings. I'll say a wee bit about them in, uh, in a minute. And there's a strap line, clean and connected. We're asset light and people heavy. We've been building incrementally since uh, um, September 2016. And we increased to four staff members in April 2019. So that's an administrator who works in the office, uh, dealing with communications and all that sort of a stuff. Um, myself and then two addiction support workers. Uh, we do have plans in the future uh, to hire female staff and begin a program, a separate program uh, for women. So that's a uh, Road to Recovery Day program. Road to Recovery um, evening meetings. Um, these are held in partnership with local gospel churches. So there you see my own church, the Tron, uh, um, in Bath Street, Glasgow, uh, every Tuesday. That's in the city centre. Govan uh, Free Church, uh, right there in Linthouse, just a length uh, the, the Southern General, the Queen Elizabeth. That's there every Thursday. It's there number five. And then we recently just started one in Bishop Briggs Free Church, Gary Brotherston's church. Um, uh, make sure you say hello to the people at New Mounds. I said, I'm on your message, boy. Everywhere I go, I've always got to say hello for you. Uh, so we just began another meeting up there at the beginning of August, um, and that's up in the north side of the city, um, up there at number 17. As I say, they're held in partner churches. Some of the stats there, um, 2018, 96 men came along at least to one meeting. Uh, in 2019, already 64 men have came. Uh, the the government meeting just started last October. Uh, in the last quarter, 46 men came. Already 57 men have came. And uh, the Bishop Briggs meeting uh, just started in August. Already 17 men um, have come along. And we hope to plant a new ministry in partnership with Greenview Evangelical Church in the spring of 2020. So what happens at these meetings? Well, it's always a Christian man with a background of addiction, uh, whether drink, drugs, gambling, or all three, who shares what life was like, what happened, and what life is like today. And actually, I borrowed that wee phrase for Alcoholics Anonymous. If you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, no matter where it is, what time of the day or where in the world it is, uh, there's a wee reading that says, our stories disclose in a general way what life was like, what happened, and what our lives are like today. So I purposefully took that so that anybody that comes into one of your meetings, they go, well, it sounds a wee bit like AA, doesn't it? But obviously the format's quite similar but the content is very, very different. Um, so what life was like, what happened, and what life is like now? Or if you want to Christianize that, it's Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. What life was like? We were dead as we were here in this morning. What happened? Well, verse 4, God made us alive in Christ. What life is like now? Walking in good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. 
Um, so it's part of the Road to Recovery programme. The boys that are on the day programme, it's compulsory that they attend two of these evening meetings. And what that's also good for is that when they finish the day programme, they've already got ongoing aftercare support. They don't need to look about and go, oh, where do I go for support? They've already got it. It's support also for those waiting to access the Road to Recovery programme. I would say, uh, currently and safely, we could handle 12 guys on the day programme. So what happens when number 13 comes? They say, well, I'm sorry, you need to wait till a spot becomes available. I can send them to these evening meetings, um, which means I'm supporting them all the way along the road. Um, and that's good because it helps him to get a look at us further. Um, and know how, how is he engaging with the total abstinence message? How is he engaging with the Christian message? And how is he engaging with the other guys in the programme? Um, and as well as getting you know, a, bit of, a, a bit of support. And it's a support group for the wider recovery community. So these, uh, these meetings aren't just for guys that are on My Day programme or have been on My Day programme. I've got guys that come to this um, who are um, 17 years sober, another guy who's 30-odd year, and another fella who's 40-odd year. Um, and when you think, see, when you think drug addict, I don't know what you think. You maybe think some sort of a bum, you know, some homeless guy. Um, but, you know, only 3% are alcoholics are rough sleepers. The other 97% are doctors, lawyers, surgeons, ministers, all sorts of stuff. And, and that's reflected, you know, in, in my guys. One, one of my guys is a professional golfer. Another one's a professional football player. Another one's a social worker all his life. Another guy was a copper. Uh, and what we're trying to do with these, what we're trying to do with these groups as well is to create pathways into good, gospel teaching churches. Now, if, if what is at the root of addiction is what I said, that it's false worship and idolatry, it's imperative that people from drug and addiction backgrounds get into good gospel teaching churches. Now, I don't know what it's like down here, but let me tell you a wee bit what it's like back up the road. I'm in the Tron, probably, you know, probably one of the best teaching churches in Scotland, to be fair. And, and, and I would guarantee there's probably less than 10 people from my type of background in our church. I could take you to a charismatic church, half the number in Glasgow, and I guarantee you I could find 45, 50 people with drug addiction backgrounds in that church. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think it might be that drug addicts and alcoholics, they seek experience. And so when they go to these types of churches, uh, the kind of a way these churches are set up, it lends itself to that. Or it may be that people, the people that attend these churches are actually mere social conscious and they're maybe involved in mere things like street pastors or Glasgow City Mission or some sort of uh, soup kitchen, which brings them into the arena of people with addictions. So therefore they can build relationships up with them and invite them easier into churches. Or, or is the case that the people in the better teaching churches don't really want that type of person in their church. Right? Happy to have people in my church as long as they're people like me. Now here's the thing. Black, brown, yellow, wee, big, fat. We've got them all covered in church big C. But the reason we don't have them in church small C, my church, better not be because we don't want that type of person in our church. So, 
We are trying to create pathways into good gospel teaching churches. Why? Well, because we believe the local church is central to addressing the addiction issues in our city and beyond. I believe this wee church here is central to addressing the addiction issues in East Ayrshire and other gospel teaching churches like it. Yous are central to addressing the addiction issues in this city, in this area. No hope for Glasgow. We can play our part. We can play our part. I'm not saying that we don't play our part, but the local church, because when the addiction issues are rightly understood, it's the gospel message that addresses them. And what we hope to do also with these evening meetings is we hope to strengthen and widen the ministry of that local church that we're partnering with. We want every local church that's got one of your evening meetings to be known locally as a church that cares and caters for those broken uh, with addiction. And we've got a whole... We've got a whole 2 Timothy 2 and 2 thing going on. Anybody tell me what that verse is, 2 Timothy 2 and 2? There's a prize. Well done, Joseph. No prize. I'm a terrible liar. Um, um, Those verses there in the Apostle Paul's, you know, last letter to his uh, protege, uh, Timothy, what he says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses... Teach to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Many generations has Paul got in view there? Four. Himself, Timothy, the faithful men that Timothy will teach, and the others that they will be able to teach. Paul's want to train up the next generation. That is always the elder's job. That's always the minister's job. As well as preaching and teaching for the front, it's always the minister and the elder's job to be looking out for blokes worth watching and inputting into them and training up the next generation. And that's what we hope today at Hope for Glasgow. We want to reach, disciple, and, in, and train indigenous men. Uh, you know, in our govern meeting, men for govern coming in, who will end up coming into govern, into the govern church because now there's a drug meeting at it. We want to maybe signpost them into World's Your Day program where they get clean, where they get connected, and also they get converted. And then they go back and they serve in the local church, you see. And that, that, that's why, you know, with us being community, I think it suits the New Testament pattern and model much better. In 1 Corinthians 6, you know, that whole uh, bunch of rascals and what they were like before they were converted. The Apostle Paul doesn't say to the drunkards, hey, we had to send you away to Athens for six months, you know, to get, you, get yourself sorted. Now, I'm no decrying residential rehab, but what I'm saying is this. People were changed. People were converted um, in the arena of the community and the local church. I'm not saying it's one size fits all, or we need to send them all away. What I'm saying is the New Testament gives us a pattern that people can and are being transformed in the local community. No, everybody needs to be kind of a sent away. So we're hoping that in partnership with the local church, there's a whole 2 Timothy 2 and 2 thing going on. We reach disciple and train indigenous men to serve in their locality. Um, quickly move through these our festive meals um, this is a vital part of the all year round support we provide for I started as a one man band back in 2016 there's no been a week when we've no done something for the guys, not one week I'm proud of that, I'm proud of that in a good way we don't shut our doors, our doors are open all the year round um, and at, at Christmas time, Christmas time's hard for us on it when we remember a loved one that's not here anymore, or a, a relationship that's broken that we wish was fixed, 
Christmas is hard. It's especially hard for people in addiction because that's, people are partying and getting drunk. Or, or, or that, that's the assumption. Um, so we, you know, even in church, my church, house groups and whatever, they stop in the middle of December and they say, right, we'll see you in the middle of January. Can you imagine me saying that to a drug addict? See you in the middle of January. You'll say, what, at my funeral, Terry? I'll be dead. So we provide support all the year round. We hold these on both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And it's support for those who are already accessing our services, people who are committed to changing their lives. So it's not for homeless people. There's plenty of things happening in Glasgow for homeless people. Um, I, could take you, I could take us all up to Glasgow on Christmas Day and I could get us all fed about five times um, and I could get his presents and I could get his money and I could get his all sorts. I'm no kidding. I'm, it's become very trendy today stuff uh, for the homeless and stuff like that. And that's great because it's needed. Uh, that's not where I'm coming in. I'm coming in with people who are already committed to changing their lives. So my door's not open to homeless people. Why is that? Well, because I'm looking to provide a safe, substance-free environment to celebrate both days for guys that are trying to get clean, trying to get sober. Um, it's a free course dinner followed by tea uh, and coffee and a gospel talk given uh, both days. There's volunteering opportunities. You know, come welcome guests, serve dinners, wash dishes, etc. And, and this is really needed, this ministry. Um, picture this, this is a two-story. A guy who gets clean in September, gets sober in September... And it's approaching Christmas and he's thinking about, well, they say this, there's good news and bad news about getting sober, getting clean. The good news is you get your feelings back. And the bad news is you get your feelings back, right? So stuff that never bothered you for years, now that you've not got any substances in your body, you're not anesthetized anymore, or they're kicking you all over the place. And this fella, he's now sober and he's thinking about his wife who's now his ex-wife. And he's thinking about his three boys who he's not seen in five years because he always carry on turning up drunk, no turning up when he said he would, and his wife went, I've had enough of this. Court order, you're not seeing there, boys. So he's thinking about his, his wife, who's now his ex-wife, he's thinking about his three sons, who he's not seen in five years, and how they'll be spending Christmas with their new da, because his wife's married again. That's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? But do you know the toughest thing about all that is? You caused it. You caused it. You put your relationship we are substance ahead of your sons, ahead of your spouse. Poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. That's emotional enough for anybody to go and get drunk. So we get ahead of the game and say, come with us. Or it might not be that you've no got a space at a family table. You might have a space at a family table, but it's not a safe space because there's drinking drugs there. So we get ahead of that substance-free environment to enjoy both days. i just quickly run through this. Um, uh, football camps, you see that's done with dotted lines because in many ways it's, it's, it's separate from the rest of the work, but in many ways it's no, and I'll, I'll try and explain what I mean. Any of you ever heard the wee saying, it's better to have a fence at the top of the cliff rather than an ambulance at the bottom? Um, well, you have now. Um, but it's better to have a fence at the top of the cliff than an ambulance at the bottom. We would hope that this would provide something of some sort of a fence. Um, we guys from my housing schemes don't need to end up drug addicts to then end up in my services. I can offer people Jesus at any point and any time in their lives. I was just saying this um, um, at lunch. Um, 50 years ago, 7% of children in this country didn't attend church in some form. 93% did. 
That's totally turned in its head now. Only 7% of children in this country have been in church or at some point. So we've got whole generations that have never read the Bible. They've never been in a church. They don't know who Jesus is or God is. They've never heard anything like that. So we, we take we guys, his love of football, so that we can share something of the love of Jesus kind of away them. And we all know Glasgow's kind of a crazy about football, isn't it? It's kind of a home to two great football teams, Celtic and Celtic Reserves. Um, <laughs> and, we can, <laughs> and we kind of had these during the Easter, summer and October school week holidays. So in a couple of weeks' time, we've got one gone. Tuesday to Thursday, three days a week, 10 o'clock to 12, uh, just some stats to the boys that kind of have come. Um, it's lovely to see. We've got, we've got wee boys that speak with posh accents. Wee boys that have got their man dying all that in the house. Wee, wee boys that have maybe even known you get any parent. Um, wee Romanian boys. Um, uh, boys for football clubs. Boys for Parkhead. Everywhere. All our guys got to come. And the gospel, football like the gospel, has got a beautiful way of breaking down social, economic, cultural, religious, and all sorts of barriers um, and bringing people together. And so what we do is we have a bit of coaching, some challenges, games. We have a penalty shootout every day. Um, the winner of the penalty shootout gets a Mars bar. They go into Thursday's final. Then Wednesday's uh, penalty shootout king, they get a Mars bar. They're in the final. Thursday's Mars bar in the final. They'll end up with diabetes and stuff like that, all these Mars bars. Um, and, then, and then they have a penalty shootout. They three guys have a penalty shootout, and the winners get kind of a trophies and, and stuff like that. But what we do every day, which is what we're all about, the football is a smokescreen. We're all about faith and sharing Jesus. Every day at half time, we give them a talk in the Christian faith. So we teach the children about the foul, the penalty, the substitute, the final whistle. Yeah? We take things for the game of football and we make it memorable. We, we use things that they're interested in to teach them things that we're interested in. And the one who's interested in them, we teach them about the greatest team ever, which is man united. But man united to God. You see? That's the greatest team ever. Why is it the greatest team ever? Because the greatest manager takes over. The highest transfer fee is paid. And guess what? Your performance will never put you to his team. There'll come a day when Ronaldo, Neymar and Messi won't get a game. They'll be told, you're too old, too fat, too slow. Sounds like my life. Um, you're not getting a game. You're, you're no up to it. You're, you're below the standard. But let this be an encouragement to his brothers and sisters. Even on our worst day, we can't be put out of Jesus' team. Because it was never our performance that put us into Jesus' team in the first place. It was his performance. What a great assurance of the gospel, eh? Everyone who attends the camp receives a Mars bar, cream egg if it's Easter, and gospel material. And we have volunteers who help for uh, churches all over Glasgow and beyond. A guy even has come up for Troon Seagate Evangelical to help. And by the way, guys come to your day program for doing this way. We've had a guy coming for air um, who, who has been in our day program. He's, he's just began a, um, a HNC at the Piping Centre um, up in Glasgow. Um, we have all sorts of boys for Ayrshire, uh, for Dolry, um, Irvine and everything who come up to our evening meetings. So um, I, would, I would walk the length of Scotland to go and score drugs so people can make it to Glasgow um, for you know, a recovery group. Um, and we've got plans maybe to hire somebody in the future that's a good Bible teacher that could maybe develop this kind of a work. Uh, lastly, uh, partnership. Any church or individual who supports us, we call them hope partners. 
Now, I stole that. I stole that for Alistair Begg. Um, Alistair Begg's got a ministry called Truth for Life. And anybody that supports Alistair Begg, he calls them truth partners. So um, I thought, that sounds good. Um, I'm stealing that. Um, so anybody that supports Hope for Glasgow, we call them um, Hope uh, Partners. And there's different ways uh, that you can you know, help be a Hope Partner. You can pray. This work is tough. Your prayers are needed. You can connect. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, uh, like and share our posts. Join our mailing list and receive our, our quarterly uh, newsletter. Quarterly newsletter means you get how many a year? Three, you're right, three. There's only three types of people in this world, Chris. Them that can count and them that can't. <laughs> um, but uh, as I said, uh, these are outside and there's the last, I think the last four newsletters um, are in there. And there's details um, of how to sign up and get it delivered straight to uh, your email. And I don't, I'm not sure we send any here to the church, do we? Well, we'll, we'll rectify that. Um, you can volunteer, you can serve. All you need is a heart for our work. You can make a difference in our office. It might be administrative skills that you've got. You might, have, you might have financial skills that could help provide a bit of financial oversight. You might be a retired lawyer or something like that. Um, you can help with our festive meals. You can help at our football camps if you're young and sprightly. Um, or with whatever gifts you possess. You can explore uh, the possibility of having a Road to Recovery evening meeting in your own church. And you can give. You can help with a, a monthly gift or a one-off gift. Um, there's a guy they knew, him and his two boys, they're, they're, they're doing the Loch Ness Marathon. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're lo lo looking for sponsorship money. And they've, they've nominated Hope for Glasgow. Churches can nominate us as like a mission partner. Um, maybe Thanksgiving offerings, uh, Christmas offerings, coffee mornings, whatever. Um, collectively as a church or individuals, we a monthly gift or a one-off gift. No amount is too small. Every pound makes a difference. And you can tell, you can share what God is doing through Hope for Glasgow in your church, in your communities, especially with those that are broken uh, with addiction. So what I've tried today is to show how they kind of all go together, how they all kind of interact. It's a network of ministries that together form Hope for Glasgow. Um, Chris, have we got time for one or two questions? We're only just at eight minutes past five. I don't think anybody's, <laughs> anybody's getting ready to lynch me just yet. Anybody got any questions about anything? I was, I was employed by Adak in Kamara. Uh-huh. I mean, sadly, in many services... What was your name, mate? Ian. Ian. Sadly, in many services today, um, the big thing that's missing is uh, the hope that you, your life can change. Um, you know, the, 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 last, the last big kind of a governmental report, it's quite old now, 2009 it was called... The, the report was actually called Road to Recovery, but I, I didn't steal that name off them. This name, I've had that name for years. Um, but what it said was... The goal for everyone in drug and alcohol treatment, the goal is for them to be drug and alcohol free. That's the goal, right? 
but over 90% of the budget every year is spent in harm reduction. Harm reduction. And, 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 and you know, 10 or 5% spent on abstinence services. So it doesn't take a scientist to work out that if you're spending less money on abstinence, then your goal is not going to be achieved. It's like Aberdeen saying, we're going to win the league. Um, and, and, and they spend 100 grand, and, and Celtic spend, you know, 25 million or 30 million. Now, it's not always about how much money you spend, but in this arena, um, it kind of shows, well, where you're at. And actually, the whole disease model lends itself to that. Uh, because if, you know, if, if, if my addiction's an illness, well, what, diabetes, I need insulin. So they're willing to put people on methadone and park them on it and leave them there kind of for years, and, and it's fed into the psyche. What are you talking about? I'm no well. Is he trying to unravel that? Is he trying to unravel? No, what are you talking about? You're, you, you mean you're unwell? You're all right. You've got, a, you've got a part to play in this. Oh, no, I'm just sick. I'll always be a drug addict. A leper can't change its spots. That's, that's, what, that's what doctors have told people. You're the kind of guy that needs something. One of my pals, he's 18 years clean. Doctor says to him, Gary, you're the type of guy that's going to need something every day for the rest of your life. Took the hope right away from him. Took the hope right away from him. He's 18 years clean today. And he's... They have. But so's all your policy makers um, and all your services. For top down, the whole thing stinks. The whole thing stinks. Anybody else? Um, we we don't do any medical stuff. No. We do take guys on methadone, right? Um, as you know, we take guys. In my opinion, um, and consensus for thousands of drug addicts that I know. Um, nobody needs to be on any more than 40 mil um, a methadone a day, right? We will take people on 60 because, as Ian said, there are some people being prescribed and there's some really fat, wealthy doctors out there who've made a lot of money for prescribing methadone and stuff like that. Uh, but there is some people out there who are on well more than 40. But what we say to folks is we'll take you at 60, provided you are committed uh, to, to coming down now, we, we work with them and we, we don't say, oh, by the way, you, next week you better be doing it. We don't do that. We're not like that. Um, as long as our boy's moving forward and plodding forward, uh, we're happy to kind of a keep, keep working with them. Alcohol is a totally different matter. I would never tell and never tell anybody to come off alcohol. You could kill them. They could take alcoholic seizures and die. Um, so we would, we, I would need, if, if, if somebody turned up and said, I'm two days sober, and I would be saying, well, you own Librium, well, you better get back to your door. I mean, you're not coming into my service. Um, you're not coming into my service if you're not on Librium. Uh, that will help prevent you getting into alcoholic seizures and stuff like that. Um, so we do get referrals. Because of how long clean I am, I've been clean for 18 years. 
And as I say, a lot of my pals are in the NA scene. A lot of my contemporaries are high up in social work and, and stuff like that as well. And because I was a book narcotics anonymous for a few years, people know who I'm uh, People know who I'm They know that I'm solid. They know that I'm solid on this clean message. They're not getting sent to some harm reduction place that's going to part them on methadone. They know I'm all about abstinence and they know that I'm all about Jesus. So people will often punt people my direction. They'll say, oh, Terry, he's into faith-based stuff in that. We're going to send them to you. Do you know? So we, we often get, we often kind of get that if folks know about us. So when we began the, the Bishop Briggs meeting, what we did, um, July was a busy month for us. So in June, we had 7,000 postcards made up um, uh, about the meeting. And we were all about the whole area through every letterbox. Um, everywhere, every house, 7,000 houses got these postcards. We also get posters made up because as well as the postcards going through the letterbox, we get posters made up for all the pharmacies, all the GPs, all the libraries, um, all the social work departments, anywhere where people gathered, we went in. Um, I remember when we were doing that in Govan, I says to the boys, hold on a minute, I'm away to put a big bundle of these in that pub. And one of the boys went, you're not going into the boozers, Terry, are you? I says, well, where, ex- where else do you expect to find Alkies? And the bakers? I'm going into the pub. Um, you know, so, you know, when you've, you've got a message to carry, you've got to, you've got to get it out there and carry it. Ah. We met someone who was a drug addict. How would we uh, refer them to you? And what would you do if they found one? I would just, I take my number. My number's, Chris and that's got my number. You'd phone us. Um, the first port of call would be um, getting them up to Glasgow. If they're wanting into my programme, the first port of call would be come up and come to your evening meetings. Um, come and get a feel for us and we get a feel for you. Because uh, what often happens is people go, Hi, I'm up for this. And they come for an assessment and I tell them, here's what's required. And they go, you know, it's like John chapter 5. Do you want to be well? Jesus asked the question. Well, sadly, Joseph, here's, here's the answer sometimes. Do you want to be well? Uh, no, no I don't what does well mean? you mean to say I've got to give up my mobility I've got to give up my money oh hold on a minute you're taking all this stuff too serious Terry you know what I mean get half everything ah oh, half everything oh no 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 um, so um, if anybody for here was interested you would say well it's not that far away it's up in Glasgow you can go up there they've got a day programme as well um, that actually helps most of them most, most folks with a drug addiction anyway have got one of these free bus passes, right? Because they're already in an addiction services. And so coming up to Glasgow every day is good because it fills your time coming up there. It fills your time coming back down. And you know what they say, when you're marching, you're no fighting. Huh? Yeah, yes? Yes, they're out. No, they're out. Yeah. Any anybody that appears 
Um, now, we take people on prescribed medication like methadone as long as they're no using street drugs or anything illicit on top, including alcohol, right? As long as they're sticking to their prescription. How do you know that? I'll show itself. Aye, they do, aye. You just know. You know. You just know. And it'll show itself. If somebody's using, they won't be about long. No. They won't be about long. Um, so for somebody on methadone or um, any other substitute medication, they need to be sticking to their prescription. Well, there is ways for me to find out. I can get their doctor to urine test them um, and say, what else is in their system? I can do that. I can do stuff like that. Um, but for anybody else who's claiming I'm not on anything, yeah. they need to be four days clean, right? They need to be four days clean uh, to come in. So if somebody relapses, um, there is a policy, you know, if you relapse, you're out. But it depends on the circumstances as well. And it depends also, is the was, it, was it a slip or is it a proper relapse now, right? That, that would depend. But here's the beauty. See, when somebody gets put in a residential program, they're out the door. When somebody gets put off my day program, remember, I've still got my evening meetings. So I can have a chat and be compassionate and say, I don't think you're at the place for this now, right? We're, we're no shutting the door in you. Why don't you just to step back into the day program, half uh, a day program, into the evening meetings. We're no shutting the door in you. You know we love you. We know, we, you know, that's happened to a boy. He's actually in the haven now, a boy called Gary. Um, the Gary even put off my program three times. Three times. So uh, that'll answer some of your question as well. Are you put off the program forever? No. You put off the program anew. Um, if a guy comes back to me and says, I'm up for it this time, Terry, and I go, oh, here we go again. But I've got to take him at face value and it. It will show itself. Um, but Gary was put off the day program and went back to the evening meetings and stayed in about the kind of evening meetings. Uh, so that's one of the things that I've got gone for me that a residential program doesn't have. Done. Excellent. Good. Thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, let's just uh, pray for Terry and for uh, Hope for Glasgow. Just to pray. Father, I want to thank you for what Terry shared of, of this, this ministry that you've called him to. Father, I want to thank you for what you've done for Terry, for the way that you've saved him and rescued him and delivered him from, from, from that sin in his life. That addiction in his life. And Father, we thank you that he has this vision to share real hope and share the real answer to these things with, with folks that are in desperate need. Mm. Father, we pray for, for Terry and for the rest of the team at Hope for Glasgow. We pray for um, Terry's family, for his patient wife. And Father, we just, uh, we just pray that you would continue to bless the work they're involved in through the frustrations, through the difficulties, through the disappointments. But Father, that they would be uh, committed to, to that work and that they would please see people, uh, guys, just taken out of the place where they are just now and that they would be, become clean and they would become connected. Mm. And Father, we just want to thank you for that. We thank you for Terry. We pray for his uh, brother and just at this tough time just now that he's going through. And Father, we just want to pray that as a, as a church that we would, that we would remember
given Jesus um, to anyone who will reach out for help. And so we, we pray that people would hear the message of hope through hope the gospel mm. and be transformed. Mm. Let's pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother.